Matthew chapter 17, beginning our reading in verse 14, says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. Now, some of the translations you might be looking at today might say uh, that he's an epileptic. It might say that he has seizures. It might say that he's a lunatic. All those words were taken from a word in the Greek language, which uh, literally meant kind of to be moonstruck. It was uh, back in the day when a, a lot of uh, mental illnesses and, and nervous disorders and, and things like that and epilepsy were, were considered to be uh, affected somehow by the moon. Now, from what I understand, if you visit mental institutions when the moon is full, there's probably some science behind that as well. But, uh, but that was kind of the idea. So it was the, the boy was having seizures. We know from reading all the Gospels together, we know that they were caused by a demon. So this just wasn't a... Though our version here says it was epilepsy, it was at least epilepsy motivated by demonic activity. But it looks like it was more than that. One of the other Gospels points out that there was deafness involved, and so there was uh, demon possession that was taking place here uh, at the time. It says, For often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him. And the demon came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I remember one time when our kids were a little bit younger, they were all living at home. And Lisa and I had run up to the falls, and we were up in International Falls running some errands, and, and we got a phone call. And what happened was our sons, Dan and Zach, got uh, messing with each other a little bit, and, and Dan went in the house and locked Zach out of the house. And, and so Zach was out there banging on the door trying to get let into the house, and Dan wasn't letting him in. And, and Zach was banging on the glass, and he ended up putting his hand through the glass and cutting himself on the arm pretty bad. And by the time they got a hold of us, Bruce Dropberg was involved. And, and I, I talked to Bruce, and he said, well, he says, if you head toward me, I'm headed toward you. He says, I'll meet you at the, I'll meet you at the junction, and I'll give you your kid, and you can take him up to get stitched up. <laughs> so, and so we did. And, and, you know, I just remember thinking with, darn kids. <laughs> Uh, why in the world? Bang on the wood part of the door. Don't lock your brother out. All these I mean, there's a whole host of instructions you can come up for this that you really shouldn't have to come up with. Am I right? You know what? I think that's exactly kind of what Jesus is dealing with here at this point. If you read, if you read all these Gospels together and recognize what has just happened that we looked at last week, Last week we looked at the passage right before at the Transfiguration where Jesus takes three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto the mountain and they get to see the glory of the Lord and they get to see Christ transformed and they get to see Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about what He's going to do. And it's this awesome experience. In fact, Peter says, Oh Lord, this is good for us to be here. How about I make a bunch of tents? So we'll make one for you, one for Moses, Elijah, take care of ourselves. We'll just stay here. Mountaintop experiences are kind of like that. You enjoy them so much, you'd kind of like to be able to just live there. Well, they, that wasn't in the will of God. And so Jesus kind of quieted Peter and they finished what they were doing. And then they head down off the mountain. And as they come down off the mountain, we get to see what they come into. 
there's a group gathered around the rest of the disciples. Remember, there's nine more of them left down there. And so there's a group, a big crowd that's all gathered around the rest of the disciples. And if you read the accounts in Mark and Luke as well, you find out that there's also scribes that are there. Jesus comes down to the crowd and he says, what's going on? And then the father of this boy comes and says, well, I brought my son to your disciples. And they couldn't cast the demon out. They couldn't heal him. They couldn't fix it. And so Jesus says, how long do I have to put up with you guys? Now, who, who, what's he talking about? Who's he addressing? I don't necessarily believe that he's, with that statement, that he's really addressing the Father so much. I don't think he's the, the main person on the target. I think, it's, I, I think if you look at the overall situation, you've got the disciples that we know that because of their lack of faith, they weren't able to do this. They should have been able to do this, and they couldn't because of their lack of faith. But then you also have this this group of scribes that is there to argue with the disciples. You know, when you try to take a step of faith, every time you fail, there are going to be plenty of naysayers around there to interpret that for you. And that's what the scribes are doing. They're there to argue with the disciples about what this means that they couldn't cast out that demon. And then you have the crowd that's mainly there for the show. And I think with all that, Jesus is just like, wow. He's done so many things that should ignite and inspire faith up to this point. We're getting closer to the end of his ministry. And you you still have this kind of thing. You have the crowd still there for the show, the scribes that are arguing over everything, and and the disciples that almost every time they get in a situation, Jesus is telling, pointing out to the disciples that they need more faith. But I do think it would also even kind of come down to the Father as well, because if you read in the Gospel of Mark, Father, when he comes to Jesus, he says... If you can do it, please have compassion on us. And Jesus' response was, if you can do it. <laughs> so even the Father, Jesus, Jesus says, if you can do it. Kind of, what do you mean, if you can do it? And then he tells him, all things are possible to those who believe. And then the Father, very humbly, I think from his response, says, I believe, but help my unbelief. So he recognizes, he's, he's, he's taking a step, he's trusting, but he's recognizing that his, his trust is not complete his his trust is weak his trust is lacking he's so he want he's asking for help in that i think we all have come to that point at times where we recognize i'm maybe struggling in my faith on some occasions we need help in those things when we look at the situation what are we seeing we're seeing christ and three of his disciples coming down off the mountain they were up in this time of 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 glory and they come down off of this mountain and they're immediately confronted by all this confusion and all this lack of faith and it's uh, one one uh, commentator put it this way. He says they're coming off a, a mountaintop of glory and they're entering the valley of need. They were unable to stay up on the mountaintop and experience the glory on a continuing basis. They have to come back down into the valley. They have to come back down into the trenches of life where we struggle and we suffer. And, and yeah, we have our mountaintop experiences, but we also walk most of the time. We live, live down on the flatland more. That's what we want to look at this morning. As we look at it this morning, I want to look at this idea of glory in the trenches. As we consider this idea, three tips to life in the trenches. Because the first lesson that we can point out is that our opportunity to experience God's glory is not limited by our circumstances. Now, I'm going to prove that to you in just a moment here. Our opportunity to experience God's glory is not limited by our circumstances. The point that I'm making is that when Peter and James and John were on the mountain, they got to experience the glory of God manifested in a Jesus Christ, and they didn't want to leave. They came back down into the trenches of life, and the opportunity is still there to experience the glory of God. 
It's going to look a little bit different, no doubt about it. But the opportunity is still there to experience the glory of God. Now, the reason that I would say that is I wrestled with this passage, the big picture of what's going on. They've left that glory behind, so they're thinking. They come back down into the trenches and right back to work. It's like getting back home from a, from a vacation and find that everything's falling apart and you've got to start fixing and got to get to work. But by the end of it, by the end of the situation of what happens here, we see if we look in Luke chapter 9 and verse 43, it says this about the crowd. It says, all were astonished at the majesty of God. So in the end, when Jesus he comes down to the crowd, finds all these faithless people, he, he, he says, bring the boy to me. He brings the boy to him, and he heals the boy. And at the end, all these people looking on, all the crowd that was there, it says they all were astonished. And what were they astonished at? They were astonished at the majesty of God. They're, wow, look at what just happened here. We looked at that word last week. That is the same word used in Second Peter when Peter describes the experience that he had up on the mountaintop. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory. Notice what, how he refers to it. He says, we were there. We saw God's majesty. And we heard the voice that came out of that majesty, that majestic glory. Well, these people that were down in the trenches the whole time, that didn't get a go up on the mountaintop, by the time Jesus performs this miracle, they're astounded by the same majesty. The same word that Peter used to describe the transfiguration, seeing the very glory of God illuminating through the Son of God, is the word that they used to describe what they saw as Jesus brought healing to this young boy. You see the point that I'm making? They're up on the mountaintop with Christ. They got to experience God's glory. But you come down in the everyday of life or even the hardships of life down in the trenches, and what did they get to experience? The glory of God. Now, there's one of them that we really like to participate in, and there's one other one that's not so fun, at least the process of getting to that point. But the point is, whether we're up on that mountaintop experience or down in a time of suffering or just when life is just kind of through the everyday matters of life, we always have opportunity to experience the glory of God. That's why the Bible even tells us whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. Your circumstances do not keep you out of participating in the glory of God. You know, I could see the other nine disciples being kind of bummed a little bit and saying, you know what, how come those three got to go up on the mountain? You guys got to go up on the mountain. You got to see Moses and Elijah. And what did we get? We're stuck with this guy's son and we don't even know what to do with him. And so they easily could have been kind of frustrated. But you know what, the fact of the matter is both of them got to be involved in the glory of God and seeing it exercised in this world. And so when we in our lives, when we're going through hardships and struggles, we need to recognize that that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to handle that situation for the glory of God. When we see somebody else struggling, we need to recognize that that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to see God glorified by us reaching out with a helping hand towards somebody else that needs it. When we have an opportunity to share the gospel, that's an opportunity to participate in the glory of God. So as we look at the overall picture with them coming down off the mountain, back into the trenches, we can see the mountaintop or in the trench, glory of God is possible to be experienced. Notice also that faith is required to participate in God's glory. What does God 
require of us? How do we bring glory to him in this world? Well, it's through faith. That's where the disciples fell a little bit. That's where the crowd stumbled. The crowd was always stumbling in that. It's kind of interesting as we look at this uh, experience and we look at Jesus' answer to them. What does it mean to have too small a faith? He teaches them a little bit by the mustard seed. Remember the mustard seed? We learned a little bit about it back in, in Matthew chapter 13. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, then you can tell this mountain to be moved from this place to that place and it'll happen. Now, we should probably clear up one thing right off the bat. This is figurative language. The idea of moving mountains was figurative speech. They had many, uh, they would talk about tearing up a mountain or replanting a mountain or they even use the word pulverize a mountain. In fact, when somebody was teaching a passage on the Word of God, if they, if they overcame a passage that was hard to understand and made it easier for everybody to understand, they might even use that phrase that he pulverized a mountain in, in regards to his uh, exposition of the Word of God. And so that word, just like in our day, faith to move mountains, was a figure of speech meaning moving obstacles. It wasn't literally, obviously, talking about moving of mountains themselves. And, and boy, can you imagine the madness, if you could? Would God give us that kind of authority over the landscape? I mean, you got guys like Benny Hinn would be moving the mountain to a different place every night in his tent meetings just to show people that he could. <laughs> and he wouldn't, be the, he wouldn't be the only one. There's a different televangelist that have the wars of mountain moving, I think. It'd be like, uh, I don't know, I was picturing Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck with a rabbit season, uh, duck season thing going back and forth. But the, the, whole, the whole concept of, of moving a mountain, Jesus is obviously not teaching anything like that. He's not telling us to move mountains. You can overcome obstacles through this faith. But faith is required. What were they lacking? The Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God because you've got to believe that God exists and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. I think the principle is given to all of us, but it applies differently to the disciples, of course, or the apostles than it did to us. The reason I bring this part up is because uh, there's been a lot of people hurt I think, and a lot of people's faith struggles a little bit because they misunderstand some of these kinds of teachings about from Christ. Jesus says you have faith to move mountains, you can do it, because God's big enough, he can do it. But when we look at the situation that's going on here, think about these disciples, the people that Jesus is talking to. These are people that Jesus already commissioned to do this kind of thing. Remember earlier in Matthew, we saw where Jesus gathered his disciples to him? And he tells them, now I'm giving you the power and you're going to go out into all the villages and you're going to preach the gospel. And you're going to, he gave them power to heal. He gave them power to cast out demons. He gave them power to do these kinds of things. And so these people at at this point, the disciples, they've already done those kinds of things. They've already been involved in casting out demons. They've already been involved in healing people. They've been involved in these miraculous situations. And they were specifically sent out. Not everybody was sent out, just these 12 at that point were sent out with that kind of ability. So when Jesus comes back and they're not able to do this one, He can look and say, it was too little of faith. You should have had faith. You should have been able to do this. You've already been doing this. I've visited with people before that have struggled in their faith because they're sick, because they got an illness. And so they feel guilty. Well, if I had enough faith, wouldn't I be healthy? 
And you can find people in our, in our nation and in our world that will stand up there and preach messages and tell you that if you have enough faith, you will be healthy and you will be wealthy. The, the gateways of heaven will open up and pour out His blessing into you. And I've talked to people that have struggled with that. I remember talking with one young man. He had, he had AIDS. He says, I've got AIDS. And my, my pastor to, told me that if I just claim the healing, announce it to be true, believe it to be true, then it'll be gone. And he says, so I did. He says, I believed it. He says, I claimed it. He says, and the pastor paraded me up in front of people. There was an evangelistic meeting, and he brought me up on a platform and told everybody I was cured of my AIDS. He says, you know what? I still have AIDS. I'm not healed. And he was hitting the bottle really heavy, and he was in despair because of a misunderstanding. On top of his AIDS, which he was trying to deal with, because he'd done some things that he shouldn't have been involved in to get to that point, and he was dealing with those, but then in the middle of dealing with those, it's like I don't measure up. I don't, I, don't, I don't have enough faith, apparently. If I was right with God, wouldn't I be healthy now? Wouldn't I be healed? No, that's not, the, that's not the nature of faith. That's not the purpose of faith for us to control and dictate everything. If that was the point, no Christians would ever die. None of us would ever go home to be with the Lord. But sometimes people take in passages like this one where Jesus uses a figure of speech and says, look, you've got to have faith to overcome obstacles. Now in John, First uh, John chapter 5, it tells us, but if we pray anything according to God's will, He hears us. And uh, so everything is subject to God's will as we look through this. But faith is, is required. So the disciples, as they're not able to cast this demon out, Jesus says it was because of your lack of faith, they should have been able to cast this demon out. Well, what about you? If you know somebody that's wrestling with an illness, if you know somebody that has cancer and you pray for that person and you pray for that person and they die of cancer, is it because of your lack of faith? No. You see, you're not the apostles and you're not at that living at that moment. If we take our Bibles, as we've talked about several times, we take our Bibles and you look over the whole Bible, a lot of times when you're reading through it, you think there's miracles happening all over the place. There really isn't. There's miracles happening about four different time periods. There is miracles surrounding Moses and the giving of the law, about 40 years worth of miracles there. During the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, the prophets of Israel, there was miracles happening during that time. During the time of Daniel, there were some miracles that happened there. And then there was about a 40-year time period during Christ, while Christ was on the earth, and his apostles shortly after that. If you cover the whole time span of human existence, you're only looking at about 160 years compared to that whole time span. Miracles are not commonplace. We wouldn't call them miracles if they were commonplace. But that's the point, is these apostles had been given the specific task by Jesus and empowered to do it, and then were not able to carry it out. That's where the lack of faith came in. I've prayed for people that they'd be healed of their cancer and they die with cancer. I've prayed for sicknesses that people don't overcome. I've prayed for them sometimes, and they do get overcome too. I'm not saying God can't answer prayer and God can't heal. God can absolutely heal and God can absolutely answer prayer. I'm just saying that God, in His purposes and plans, has not made every one of you a healer or somebody that casts out demons. Faith is not about uh, living in the miraculous. Faith is often about enduring the ordinary or even the tougher days in life. In fact, that's what I want to look at as we get toward our last point, and that is that faith is often expressed in persistence. It's often expressed in persistence. The reason that I say that is... Because if you look at verse 21, now some of you are probably already finding the problem. Some of your Bibles are going to have verse 21. Some of your Bibles aren't going to have verse 21. 
Some of your Bibles are probably going to have a little letter or a number there, and then you look down to the bottom margin, and it tells you a little bit of something about verse 21. He already told him, he says, it's because you have too little faith. But then in verse 21, it would talk about an expression of faith, which is prayer. Because verse 21 would read that this kind doesn't come out except for by prayer and fasting. Better manuscripts do not contain that statement. And so, you know what, you have this to deal with every once in a while in the Bible. There's not a, there's not a ton of it. It only fills up about a, maybe a half a page worth of information, and, and it doesn't affect major doctrine. But you do have these situations in the Bible because the Bible was used through the years in all kinds of different ways. It was used in, in ways where they would copy part of it and, and use it for church services and things like that. And so some of our passages in the Bible contain parts that maybe weren't originally there, and some of our parts, might, they might have deleted part of it because it didn't fit the purpose they were using that scripture for. Just like when I shine them on the wall. If I shine a verse on the wall or two verses, I decide how much of it to shine on the wall. Some of it might get left out. Um, some of them I might couple part of a verse with another part of the verse. And then I usually give you something that did, so you can see that, that you know that that happens or I tell you that. But that's how we use it. Well, that kind of thing has happened through the years a little bit with the Bible. And so you look at it and you say, well, was that part, when you have ancient manuscripts that have it in it, and you have ancient manuscripts that don't, should it be there or shouldn't it be there? And it's hard to tell. Well, don't get too worried about it. Because, uh, first of all, as we look at the better, as I say, and I'm just going to use the terms they use, the better manuscripts of Matthew do not have it in there. And so it appears that when Matthew wrote his gospel that verse 21 was probably not there. But if you look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, and in our best, under, our best manuscripts in, in Mark, it does contain verses 28 and 29 of chapter 9, which says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. It definitely was part of the conversation Jesus had with his disciples, as recorded by Mark, Matthew probably just didn't write that part in originally in his gospel. Probably got added in by a scribe. In all of the better manuscripts of each gospel, the concept of fasting is not found in any of them. He just ended at prayer. Back to our point here. How were they weak in their faith? What did it mean that their faith was too small? That grain of mustard seed. Jesus can't mean the size of the grain of mustard seed only when he tells them if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say this mountain be moved over to there. The reason for that is because of his rebuke. He's correcting them. And he tells them your problem is your faith is too small. So it doesn't make sense for him to say your faith is too small, but if you had small faith, you'd be able to move that mountain. If you remember back to Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus talked about the mustard seed, he said the mustard seed was the smallest seed in the garden, but it grew into the largest tree that could house the birds. I think he's talking about an initially small faith that would grow. Just like the mustard seed, it's the smallest of seeds. When you plant it in the garden, it becomes the biggest of trees. The transformation is incredible. And Jesus is telling them, that's what your faith has got to be like. Their faith started small, but it shouldn't stay that way. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't be correcting them every time we turned around about having too small a faith. Their faith needed to grow. They needed to trust. They needed to step out. And it's the same in our life. Our faith starts out very small. And our understanding of God starts out small. But our faith needs to grow. We need to expand. We need to, we need to step out. How is that faith expressed in our life? 
I think it is often expressed through persistence. Because what does he say that's recorded for us in Mark? He said, your faith was too small and you needed to pray. You see, they needed to be, I think, persistent. I think they're given up too early. They're not, when they tried to cast out the demon and it wouldn't happen, I, I get the picture that they just kind of said, well, now what do we do? And Jesus tell them, you know what you do then? You pray and you pray and you pray. You know, I think of Luke chapter 18 when it talks about the, the persistent widow that Jesus told them this parable for the purpose so that they would pray and not faint, not lose heart. And he said there's a widow that came to a judge and the judge didn't regard people or God. And this woman came and, and pleaded her case before the judge and he wouldn't listen to her. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give her what she asked for. Jesus said, but she kept coming back and back and back and back. And finally the guy says, I'm going to give her what she wants just to keep her out of my courtroom. Jesus says, that's what you need to do. That's what your prayer needs to be like. You know, that's where faith often exercises itself. It's within those times where we, we keep going. We, we're persistent. Faith is faithful. It just keeps on I read a story about a man named George Mueller. He ran an orphanage. He was an evangelist. And in his day, he served 10,024 orphans. Awesome. It was in the 1800s. He was born toward the beginning of the century, died toward the end. And he started Christian schools. In fact, he was even criticized for raising the poor above their natural standing by educating children. He had five personal friends that he decided, I'm going to pray for these five friends of mine that they would come to Christ. And after five years, one of them, came to Christ. Five years of praying for him. That's pretty commendable. After five more years, two more came to Christ. So he's been praying for ten years. He's been praying for these friends. And then now three of them have come to Christ over ten years of praying. How many things right now can you think of that you've been praying for for ten years? Later, the fourth one came to Christ. And George Mueller had been praying for that man for 25 years. And the last one came to Christ a few months after George Mueller died. And he had prayed for that man for 50 years. 50 years. Wow. That's faith. And I can't help but think that's what Jesus is talking about here with these disciples. What, what does it mean? What does small faith look like? They gave up too quick. They weren't persistent. Jesus had given them the ability, the power to, to cast out the demons, to heal people. It was part of the Father's will for their plan. There shouldn't be really a demon that they come across that they can't cast out or a sick person that they can't heal because that's exactly what God wants to be happening at that time in history because those miracles were also, as the Gospel of John points to them, signs. They were signs to show that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why there were so many miracles happening at that time. It was God saying, look, this is Him. So at that time, it was God's will. They shouldn't have come across anything they couldn't cast out, but they did. Jesus said, your faith is too small. How do you know that faith is too small? Because you're not praying. We need to be persistent in our prayer. We need to be persistent in our, our faith. I think faith, kind of the nuts and bolts of faith is persistence. It's being faithful. So as we look at this passage and see this situation, what do we see? We see him coming off the mountain of glory, but there's still glory to be Beheld, there's still glory to be experienced. Not all, not all the glory we would get to participate in is the same. We get those glorious mountaintop experiences where we, where we just worship, and we, and we just have a great moment or time with God, where we learn a great truth. We see Him more clearly than we ever have before. 
We get those. But life isn't always lived there. Life is lived more in the trenches, more in the everyday. In the everyday, the glory's still there. In order to experience it, we have to exercise faith. We've got to be willing to step out of comfort zones. We've got to be willing to trust God, to follow God's leading and prompting, to, to make most of opportunities. And we need to recognize that not all those things are going to just fall into place. Just because you're, you're stepping out in faith doesn't mean everything's just going to come together. It's going to require some persistence and prayer and, and steadfastness. That's when faith is, is really happening. You know, when you get to the book of Hebrews, look at chapter 11, it's divided by people that accomplish great things for Christ and people that suffer great things for Christ. Both of those things are carried out through faith. And so the glory in the trenches is ours. We just got to walk in faith and trust. I remember I had a moment at college one time, and I'm going to make it very brief because I know I've told you it before. But when we first got to college and didn't know what, what we were doing or how to get signed up for school, it was a very frustrating experience. And I had, I had figured that, you know, I, we'd stepped out on faith, sold the things that we had, got on a bus, went to Minnesota, got off the bus in a rainstorm, and then uh, started trying to get signed up for college. And I just figured, you know what, God's leading us to do this. He'll provide. We just got to, and I thought of the old, in the Old Testament when the children of Israel came up to the Jordan River. They came up to the Jordan River and God said, I'll tell you what, take the priests, have them carry your most valued possession, the Ark of the Covenant, and have them cross the river. When they're all in the river, then I'll part the river. And so I thought, that's how God works. i got to take a step of faith. And so quit our job, sold our stuff, got on a bus. That's a step of faith. Figure we'll take a step of faith and God will part the waters. Everything will go smooth. And we got there and things weren't going too smooth and I was frustrated and finally somebody helped me. They were taking advantage or experiencing the glory of God and helping me. And they helped me and they, everything. now everything looked like it was going to go smooth again. And so I was heading out of the college and I bumped into another guy and he says, hey, how's it going? I said, great. I said, at first I was getting really confused. I'm always standing in the wrong lines, doing the wrong thing. This Dr. Potter helped me out. Now everything's going smooth sailing. It's great. And he says, that's awesome. And I said, yeah, I figured it's just like the priests. They all had to get in the, jump in the water. They had to get in before God parted the water. And the guy said, yep. Just remember, right after that was Jericho. <laughs> Walled city. <laughs> I said, thanks for nothing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when I got over to the guest dorms, because we didn't have a place lined up to live in or anything, when I got over to the guest dorms and I opened the door, I could hear my son Daniel screaming. He'd burned his uh, arm with, a, with an iron and, and stuff. He had plugged it in and then burnt his arm. But, but uh, you know, there was Jericho. <laughs> you know what? In the things that God prompts us to do, He expects us to walk through those by faith. It doesn't mean that they're, they're just going to flow easy and that everything's just going to fall together. We need to be working it, praying it, doing it. We need to be persistent in that. Father, thank You so much for this day. Thank You for the will of God in our lives. and Thank You for the lesson that we can learn from these apostles. And Lord, we're thankful for uh, how You equipped them and the, the ministry that You equipped them and called them to. It was an awesome ministry. And Father, we thank you for letting us see the chinks in the armor, let us seeing, letting us see their, their weak points and their struggles and as they weren't always giants of faith. In fact, it appears that often they weren't. 
But Father, though it's not the same in every respect, we thank you for the ministries that you call us to and the opportunities that are all around us to experience the glory of God in our lives. If we would just take hold by faith and jump in and get involved. And Father, as we do, we pray that you'd help us to be persistent, to be tearing long in prayer and and in, in effort as well. Thank you for the opportunity to walk with you in this world. Thank you for the mountaintop experiences that we get to have, but thank you also for the time in the trenches. It's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.